Hey all, happy Tuesday. Uh, I've been so happy with uh, the responses I have gotten to the first three episodes of the season. Uh, Hodinkee in particular, I feel like I've had a lot of feedback on that. Uh, you know, I've had friends say things like, good app, um, which made me feel great. Um, you know, solid pod, things like that. Um, really sort of, I'm delighted by that kind of feedback. Um, you know, some people saying, oh, you're still doing that podcast. Uh, you know, not as good feedback on that. Would love for you to subscribe and listen if you're giving me that kind of feedback. But anyway, today on the show, we have another pet company, a uh, high-end uh, premium dog food company called Ollie. A bit earlier stage, but a really wonderful conversation. I hope you enjoy. Rate, subscribe, resubscribe, re-resubscribe, do all the subscription, everything, everything subscribe. Subscribe, everything. We would go to like rescue adoptions or go to our local dog park or go to Central Park and we would hand out samples um, early on Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings and get feedback from our customers and sign them up for free boxes. Welcome everybody to the Making the Brand podcast. My name is Billy Draper. I work in early stage venture capital. And on this show, we're gonna be talking about brands. We'll talk to founders and leaders of growing consumer companies that are finding ways to stand out, differentiate, and delight their customers. On today's show, we have Gabby Sloan, co-founder and CEXO of Ollie. She teaches us about the premium pet food industry and the power of keeping your early customers happy. Okay, so today on the show, we have a very special guest, uh, Gabby Sloan, the co-founder and CXO of Ollie. Um, Gabby, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. So to start off, what the heck is Ollie? <laughs> Ollie is a all-natural and human-grade dog food. We tailor it to your dog's individual needs and then ship it directly to your door. And how is it going so far? So far, so good. Um, we started the company, uh, well, I guess we've been live for a little over two years. We launched in October of 2016. Uh, we are national now, so we have customers in um, all 48 states. We don't serve Hawaii and Alaska, but otherwise we are um, have happy dogs all across America eating Ollie. Uh, we've served over 5 million meals thus far. Um, and are just continuing to grow. And is there any prep work? So you get, so you order the food. Uh, yeah. Is it is it more like a like a Blue Apron, or is it more like a uh, ready to go? You just peel off the top. It is ready to go. So we looked at the dog food industry, and you know, sort of the the, the origins of Ollie were spun out of my own need and uh, one of my co-founders needs to provide a healthier meal for our dogs. Um, my dog, I adopted when I was traveling and brought him back to the States, actually got him in Columbia, um, brought him back to the States and put him on what I thought was a high-end kibble um, and immediately saw his health really decline. So he started gaining a bunch of weight. He was having very sort of allergic seeming allergic reactions, bad skin and coat, um, and sort of bad digestive issues. And so after sort of doing a wild goose chase with all these different vets and trying all these different proteins, I realized that um, it wasn't that 
specific protein that he was having an issue with, but it was the highly, highly processed food that he had never really been exposed to um, and all the additives that he was being exposed to in a way that having, you know, lived off the street and getting what scraps he could get, he had never been exposed to and was having a sort of quick and adverse reaction to that. So I wanted to find a better way to feed my dog and all dogs, one that was natural, didn't have artificial flavoring, didn't have preservatives, didn't have synthetic vitamins and minerals, and dogs were getting their nutrition from real ingredients. Um, one that was safe, so you know, in an industry that is ripe with recalls, whether it's from you know toxicity levels of vitamin D to um, God forbid barbiturates they found in food that have caused a few dogs to pass away, um, wanted a food that I could really trust. And so that's why we sort of went the human grade route. Um, it is cooked in a USDA and FDA regulated facility with ingredients that are human grade. And people say like, oh, what does human grade mean? And um, it means it's it's fit for human consumption. So no, it's not flavored for humans to eat. You might want a little seasoning before you try Ollie, but it's safe enough for you to eat. Have you and tasted it? I have. Everyone in this office has. And I'm a vegetarian, so it says a lot that I've tasted our food. Wow. Yes. What? Um, oh, yeah. Go on. Sorry. No, no. So um, anyway, so we looked at the industry, wanted to do something better, but we wanted to make sure that we were mirroring the convenience of what people think about as dog food so that not just mirror, but make better. So the convenience aspect of making sure there's food when you need it, not when you don't. Uh, that it requires very little effort. It is just scoop and serve. We pre-portion it. Um, so we make the portioning super easy, which is really important because 54% of the dogs in the U.S. are obese, and that half of that is due to overfeeding. So making that really simple was really important to us as well because um, of the obvious health benefits of keeping our dog at an ideal weight can extend their life by 20%. Um, and so when we send it, it is all ready to go. You stick it in your freezer or your fridge and then individually portion for you to just serve to your dog on a meal by meal basis and fairly easy to travel with as well. So that was sort of a, lo a long winded way of saying, yes, it is very convenient. There is no preparation. It's not like blue apron. It is come ready to devour. What is the, uh, you sort of skimmed over this and I was quickly intrigued. What is the process of going to Colombia to adopt a dog like? <laughs> yeah, so I didn't go to Colombia with the intention of adopting a dog. I went to Colombia with the intention of having a nice vacation with my husband and hiking and enjoying the wilderness. And uh, this adorable dog started following me with, he has these sort of yellow golden eyes. Um, it sort of melted my heart right away and he continued to follow me. And then, um, you know, he won my heart over within a day. It took me a little while to convince my husband that I wasn't absolutely insane by bringing him home with me. And once we won him over, then it was actually like not as complicated as we had anticipated. He just needed to get all of his shots, get his vaccinations. Um, he had to get some health records. And then it was actually easier to bring him into the U.S. than to get him out of Colombia. So in the U.S., fun fact, they don't have quarantine for dogs, just for livestock and birds. So once we came over, we showed them his vaccinations, and we were good to go. Was it, So it was just a dog that followed you around in Colombia? Yeah, so he was a stray dog that was just following us around. And we. I, I guess the, the longer part is we were on um, what I thought was like a nice leisurely hike. Um, our tour guide was like this G.I. Joe, um, like crazy man, super fit. 
And like 12 hours later, we're still sort of like climbing these. I mean, it was gorgeous. It was worth it. But like climbing these mountains, wondering when we're going to turn back. And uh, my our, our now dog, Poncho, was with us every step of the way. And then at the end of the hike, when we got into what was the uh, quote unquote taxi, which was just this sort of like big pickup truck with as many people as could possibly be shoved in the back of it possible. Um, when we went to get in, Poncho just jumped on in with us. And I guess that was it. Sold the deal for us. So he came home with us too that night. Well done, Poncho. That worked out really well for him. <laughs> oh, yeah. And now he's the chief eating officer at a dog food company. What wow. What kind of shares do you get for that? <laughs> um, that what, and what, un, un, unlimited food. Yeah, that's it's a, the I best mean, Absolutely. What, uh, what kind of dog is he? Uh, so we don't know. We've never done the like DNA testing, but he looks like a beagle hound mix, about 50 pounds. And how did, I guess this sort of goes into the next question. How did you come up with the name Ollie and did you consider the name Poncho? Yeah. So people get, so his name's Poncho, P-A-N-C-H-O, not, okay. pon- not Poncho like the jacket. Okay. Um, but people always get that confused. And there was at the time, um, I think it's been acquired since, but a, a poncho weather app. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, I actually use that all the time. It like woke me up and told me the weather and any traffic delays was great. I'm sad that it, it's no longer. Um, anyway, so felt like that was going to get confused a lot um, and, and mixed up when people were recalling it. So we sort of wanted a name that would be easy for people to remember, easy for people to find. And also that was sort of gender and uh, gender agnostic. So, and wanted something that like people could see the Ollie in all of their dogs and wasn't like too specific. Um, and that, you know, yes, my dog was having issues, but when we looked into it, you know, our company's not just, I'm having a health issue. I need Ollie. It's, for people and for dogs who just believe in healthy eating, healthy living, and so didn't want to make it too specifically about my dog, wanted really to make it about all dogs that could benefit from Ollie. Did you have any issues on that point with Poncho? Did you have any issues with the uh, kids' gummy vitamin company, Ollie? No, we didn't, and that wasn't around when we launched. I think it launched right afterwards, but we haven't had, like, no one seems to really mix that up. Yeah, you're yeah, very different businesses. <laughs> um, <laughs> what uh, where are you having success finding customers? How how so or I guess let's take it back a little bit early on. So you you end up starting a, a healthy human grade dog food business. How does that happen? How did you end up in the dog food business? So, I mean, I ended up in the dog food business because of my dog. So when I started, I was actually EIR at um, a venture fund at the time. Um, I got my dog, realized he was having issues, sort of was trying to find a solution for him. I, you know, ended up at a holistic vet who told me that I should cook for my dog. The sort of running joke in my family is that if Seamless went out of business, I would starve to death. So clearly I'm not a cook. (laughs) And But that's that's such a big step from... Um, you know, oh, my dog has this issue and I want to solve it for my dog versus I think this is a feasible thing and finding partners and going and sort of raising money and starting this thing up. Yeah. So, um, so one, I realized that issues with my dog. Then this vet told me to start thinking about like holistic treatments or cooking for my dog. Um, and told me to read this book, uh, Food Pets Die For. So I started reading that book, realized all the issues with the industry and 
you know, I think we take it for granted and like sort of a light bulb moment went off when like I was making my morning routine, which is the only thing I make in life are smoothies. And so I was putting in like my berries and my oat milk and whatnot. Um, And then was scooping out these like burnt brown balls into his bowl and like realizing like, I don't actually know what's in this food. Like this could be anything. Um, Like they, it looks like completely homogeneous and I could have gotten him another brand or another flavor or another protein, or it could have even been vegetarian. And honestly, like it would look the same. So how do I know that this is like, okay for him where I'm not eating like, you know, nothing wrong with a occasional protein bar, but like, I'm not eating a protein bar. I'm not eating cereal. I'm eating ingredients that like, I know exactly what they are and therefore I'm knowing exactly what goes into my body. Why am I not doing the same for him? So like that was like one light bulb moment. And then, you know, coupled with his health issues that he was having. And then as I mentioned, I was EIR. So was looking into sort of all industries in general around like where are market opportunities. And I, as I was doing research on dog food and sort of looking into the pet industry, it's a massive industry, you know, uh, dog food, uh, food in the U S is $30 billion dollars. Um, the premium segment of the market is already $13 billion when we were starting out and grow is growing the fastest of all segments. And just to put that in perspective, um, the whole mattress in- industry is around $12 billion and there are multiple successful mattress industries. And this is now almost three X that size. So, you know, huge market. My dog was having issues. I started looking into the industry at large. I realized that it's sort of owned by four main conglomerates, you know, the Mars, Nestle, Smuckers, Colgate's of the world. And they sort of rolled up all the brands underneath them, which is sort of the business school case study of like, what does a good market to disrupt? Um, And when you have a bunch of companies that are, you know, printing money on this business, they don't have a whole lot of incentive to innovate, um, which like, I can't blame them, but it makes it super appetizing, no pun intended, for people like me to come in and start from scratch and sort of think about a totally new way of approaching this. And where did you find or when did you find your co-founders? Um, so one of my co-founders was also an EIR at the same venture fund at Primary Ventures with me. So we met there and then um, our investors there introduced us to our third co-founder um, who was our who is our chief technology officer. Um, so they were instrumental in helping introduce us. As I mentioned, my other co-founder had recently adopted a dog too, and he was having, uh, he was having a lot of health issues with his dog who was gaining a bunch of weight. And then Randy, our, our chief technology officer, our third co-founder has two cats. We jokingly call him our resident cat lady. Um, and he was traveling from Long Island city, um, to Tribeca to go and get this uh, boutique, freshly cooked food for his cats. And so we sort of were all believers in this way of living and life and really just came together with that sort of shared passion for our animals and wanting to do better for them. Have you thought about getting into cat stuff? We think about everything. <laughs> okay. And, and, and have you, um, how have you funded the business so far? Yeah, so um, we initially raised a seed round. Um, we've raised uh, another round of venture funding um, last summer, um, or about a year and a half ago, our A round then, and that's all of our fundraising thus far. So we've we've been lucky on the fundraising front to get um, great venture partners um, to help us out. 
I'm sure they've also been lucky to have you. Um, One of the things I've been curious about with the pet industry in general is, and I guess it works to the advantage of the industry, is how do you measure dog happiness? So you're, you know, you are the CXO and your dog is the C eating officer. Wait, what did you say? Chief. Uh, We we, we jokingly call him the chief eating officer. Chief eating officer. But, but dogs in my experience are mostly just happy with whatever food you put in front of them. How do you measure that one meal versus another when you're testing sort of on the food science side? How do you measure once you start sending this to customers, whether their dog is is a nine out of 10 happiness or a 12 out of 10 happiness or a five out of 10 happiness? For sure. So there's lots of um, metrics along the way on how we judge if, you know, what we're doing well. Um, or to judge if we are doing well, I should say. So we spent over a year on creating Ollie before we launched it. And most of that was spent on the experience and the actual food itself. So when it comes to the food, it goes through a whole bunch of R and D, um, work that we work with, um, our vets, our nutritionists, um, our facilities on the cooking to make sure that it is nutritionally, um, where it needs to be so that dogs can thrive on it. And after that, um, we, and that's multiple, multiple, multiple rounds of R and D and testing, cooking, tweaking to get our recipes. Um, then we send it to third party kennels and labs to do additional testing. Um, we test the digestibility. So if we're saying we're putting in X amount of vitamin C and X amount of protein, like how much are the dogs actually absorbing of this? You know, there's certain things that dogs, you know, quinoa, as an example, dogs don't absorb quinoa well. So despite us, you know, as the nutritional value of quinoa, it says X, but dogs aren't necessarily getting that nutritional value. So it's not a great ingredient for us to use. Um, but so we test the digestibility to make sure that every, all the ingredients that we're putting in, the dogs are actually absorbing the nutritional benefits that we want. And then we are also putting um, our food through feeding trials with dogs um, at the third party lab where they are feeding our food um, compared to other brands and they do, you know, using statistic- statistically significant tests, they put down our bowl first, another bowl first, they put them next to each other, they switch it, they measure which bowl do they choose first, how much of it did they eat, how fast of it did they eat, and we continue to tweak our recipes to try and get um, optimal, optimal, um, you know, beat our beat our competition in terms of palatability and we are you know anywhere from seven times to 15 times more likely to be chosen as first choice by dogs um, so that's sort of like before it even goes to market the testing that all of our recipes will go through then we are a very very data-driven company and use our customers as um, both the pet parents as well as the pets to be sort of the our North star of truth when it comes to how, how are we doing? And so we're constantly getting feedback from our customers around which recipes their dog is liking the best, um, but also um, how their dog is doing generally. So like, yes, is their dog eating the food? Are they enjoying the food is one thing that we measure, but we also measure what benefits they're seeing. So we have pet parents who write into us to tell us that their 10 year old dog with cancer is acting like a puppy again or their small Maltese that used to have tear stains, which are really a result of sort of like a, an allergic reaction, um, no longer have those tear stains, or that their dog's 
coat is never been shinier or their breath is better or their Frenchie farts less and poop is smaller and is having less digestive issues. Um, so we use sort of all of that to gather data to see like how long does it take a customer to start seeing benefits based on how much they're feeding their dog um, or when they started to see weight loss or gain, depending on what their goal is, to really make sure that we're approaching this sort of holistically to tackle the sort of overall well-being of dogs. So once you get the customer, it's I can see how that would be incredibly valuable, just having that yeah. feedback loop having sort of a direct line of, of contact to your customers yeah. and making sure that you're sending them the stuff that they love sort of consistently. How, but early on, where did you have success? How did you find the customers? Where do you find dog owners? Um, you go to your local dog park. <laughs> yeah. Uh, half, only half joking there. So at the beginning, it was really important for us, like, you know, so much of me starting the company was like, yes, my dog was having issues. But also when I found out like what is in traditional pet food, I was like flabbergasted and also like felt like kind of guilty and annoyed that I didn't know. And that, you know, these big conglomerates are own the messaging, own sort of the voice and the marketing and sort of saying what's good or what's not good. And that like, you know, me being I had generally thought of myself as a well-informed person, not knowing this, like I felt really bad about that, not even knowing how many recalls were in the industry and all the sort of bad things that were going into pet food. So creating a brand around like trust, transparency and authenticity was really, really important to me. And I knew that um, doing that for our customers was gonna be really important to get in sort of our first adopters too. So we did use like quite a local approach at the beginning. We went, we did um, local events, we did, um, we would go to like rescue adoptions or go to our local dog park or go to Central Park and we would hand out samples um, early on Saturday mornings or Sunday mornings and get feedback from our customers and sign them up for free boxes. Um, we then sort of broaden that approach out and sort of ask them like what they care about, what they like, what they didn't like, uh, and then broaden that out sort of to the next tier of people, which were sort of our influencer and ambassador program, which many of which are still um, with us today and have been great and grown the business, sort of become part of our family and part of our pack and sort of started sending boxes to them and saying, you know, like, if you'd like it, we'd love for if you would be willing to post about it and tell everyone like your community and your fans why you like it and what you've seen. And sort of that was sort of the next ring of getting awareness. Um, also, you know, we had, we were very lucky. Crest was very kind to us at launch and we got great coverage. And so that helped on a national level sort of spread the news early on. Um, and then we sort of folded as that initial drum of volume from press sort of started to dwindle. Um, you know, we started folding in more traditional methods of marketing as you would with any other company. Obviously, social networks have the biggest audiences. So that was sort of the first thing that we went after and continue to use um, and then have continued to branch out into other marketing channels where we see opportunity using you know, a whole bunch of tactics, whether it's um, audience profiling for households or people that are dog owners, whether it's um, building lookalike, lookalike modeling for different channels for us um, and just sort of getting, continuing to spread out on our marketing mix. And Oh. And um, one other thing that we were also doing at the beginning, which sort of helped get our name out there was, uh, you know, as I said earlier on, we believe that we're not just a food delivery company, like we, do, we are a health and wellness company. And so that's why we're sort of 
make that feedback loop really important, but also want to help pet parents live happier and healthier lives with their dogs and hopefully longer lives with their dogs as well. Um, so we had also launched a blog in our early days, which helped build, um, you know, build our community, but also build trust in us as sort of an authority um, for similar, you know, brands that were also playing in the dog space and maybe in the dog food space and did some partnerships with them as well and leveraging their audience. So the, the blog and, and content, which we've continued to this day, has also been pretty helpful. What were some of the challenges you faced in the early days? It sounds from the outside, it sounds like you sort of went by the playbook, uh, <laughs> raise money, grow, raise money, grow. And it sounds like, you know, it just sort of worked and you have the tailwind and it's just going great. Were there any challenges that sort of kept you up at night, you know, a, a few months into the project? Uh, there were things that have kept me up almost every night. <laughs> <laughs> if, if only it were that easy. Um, yeah, I mean, at the beginning, definitely, like, it's just even pre-launch, like, figuring out how to make the food was definitely a challenge, and just, like, the light bulb moment of, like, how different we were and what we were trying to do sort of against the industry. Like, I remember talking, you know, I would talk to everyone, anyone about the concept, um, was sort of, like, bashful, like, not bashful at all about, like, reaching out to people, like, industry veterans, and I remember being told, like, there's no way that you can like, you know, delivering dog food and you're trying to change two things at once. You can only change one thing at a time, like delivering dog food and creating a subscription is like already a big hurdle. And now you're trying to change the actual food. Like there's no way people are going to grasp onto that all at once. Um, so that was definitely like one thing that I was, kept me up at night. Like, am I trying to do too much at once for sure? Um, and then I remember also flying out to um, St. Louis to talk to a potential formulator to work with us who also was like a veteran in the industry and trying to explain to him like, you know, we, why we're trying to do what we're trying to do and what our beliefs are and wanting to go natural and um, this is, you know, why we want to do this and what was on our no list and um, he sort of turned around it's basically like, hey, lady, like, I don't need this song and dance. Like, I can formulate for you out of used shoe leather and make it adequate for a dog. Like, just tell me what you want me to make and I'll make it. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that was, like, pretty nervous because I didn't know anything about making food. I'd never been in the food industry. And here I was, like, sitting across the table from someone who was, like, clearly not aligned on the vision. And so trying to figure out, like, who was going to – eventually help us to make the food and what who the right food partners were was definitely challenging at the beginning yeah at that point you either need to work with a classic pet food co-packer who makes pet food in a specific way that it probably doesn't match your desired quality or a human food co-packer who doesn't make pet food so you're sort of yeah. When, you, when you're making anything new, you sort of have to fit things into boxes for people, and that's probably a real challenge. Yeah, exactly. And we went to countless um, facilities that were making human food, and they were like, um, I make food for X, Y, and Z restaurant. Like, there's no way I can have dog food in my facility. And we're like, no, but we're not dog food. Like, we're probably sourcing our meat from the same place you're sourcing. Not probably. We definitely are sourcing our meat from the same places that you're sourcing your meat from for this restaurant and same with our vegetables. Like just don't consider a dog food. It's you're cooking it the same way. Like there shouldn't be anything different, but it, like there was a conceptual um, jump that people had to make and it was quite challenging for them to do, which like I understand like they are worried about keeping their strong business. And here we are, 
you know, not even a launch company trying to convince them to make food for us. And, you know, now we're two, three years in looking at back and it's thankfully a little bit comical because now we're at volumes where, you know, co-packers are coming to us and asking us to work with them. But it was definitely a challenge. You mentioned early on that the the premium dog food market is about $13 billion. Naturally, you now, I don't know if you this was the case at the beginning, but you have a ton of competition. How do you how do you think about the competitors and how do you manage that? Yeah, so um, I guess generally speaking, um, you know, I think the industry is huge. I definitely believe at this stage, like we're still a little bit in the what, not the why phase of our category. You know, when still when we tell people we are a new dog food company, they ask, is it canned, is it kibbled? And we're like, no, it's neither, we're fresh food. So I definitely feel like Rising Tides um, raises all boats and don't worry about, you know, we're not fighting over a small pool of customers. And so really excited, you know, I think in a lot of ways it validates all of us by having more than one player in the space and makes it sort of a real category. Um, I also think like, you know, generally because the industry is so big, you sort of ask like, oh, well, you know, you can look at Blue Buffalo and you can look at Iams or you can look at Wellness and those are all also competitors within the same space and those are all billion dollar plus businesses. So on a general level, like, you know, I think you need to be competitor focused or customer focused and we try and be customer focused to continue to listen to what our customers want um, and use that to drive forward our decisions and product development and how we run our company. And how big is the company today? How many uh, how many people do you have? Um, we're about 35 employees um, in our New York office. And then we have um, three distribution centers around the country with um, a handful of Ollie staff at each of those two. And how do you like New York as a startup city? I, love, I mean, New York's my home, um, born and raised here. So uh, I don't think there could be any other city that I could do this in. Yeah, it seems like, uh, I mean, it's already a hotbed for sort yeah. of CPG, but now it's seeming to grow as a hotbed for pet companies specifically. So that'll be <laughs> hopefully very beneficial for you. Yeah, I mean, it is, it is great that, I mean, New York is a definitely a massive dog city too. So it's great to have um, all those types of people sort of in our neighborhood, but you know, so many of our partners that we work with have, you know, not just New York, but we're in Chelsea. So within our area or within walking distance from our offices, which is great and sort of helps us fold in any partners that we're working with, whether it's an agency or whatnot, um, to sort of feel like an extension of our company as opposed to just Skype calls all the time with people. So I think that that aspect has been really good, as well as our investors are all local too, or most of them are local as well. So that also makes it nice that we can have sort of close relationships and easy relationships with them. What sort of looking down the road, what would you consider consider to be a, a successful outcome for Ollie? You mentioned, you know, Blue Buffalo and, and Purina and, and these these big brands are grabbing up these big dog food companies. Yeah. Um, do you want this to, you know, keep growing and evolving? Do you want this? Do you want to find a partner who can help you get massive distribution? Where do you where do you fall on that? Uh, so for right now, I think we're really focused on just building a business. You know, we have a long way to go. We, in terms of like the ceiling is so high in terms of where we can grow it. Um, right now we're 
really are just focused on growing Ollie to what it can be. Um, and, you know, as we continue to go along in the next few years, if opportunities come our way, we definitely will consider them. But I don't think we have a set destination of we need to either IPO or be bought. Um, you know, we obviously have investors. So making sure that we do right by them is um, and as well as all of our employees who are equity owners of the company. Um, we definitely want to do well by everyone. And so everyone has a, a great outcome here. And it's not about just a home, but it's about the right home for Ollie and the right trajectory to make sure that we're able to continue sort of striving with towards the direction and keeping true to the pillars that drive our brand and our beliefs. And so when we find that right home, hopefully we'll know it. <laughs> I think that's fair enough. And what, uh, what's some advice you would have for an entrepreneur starting out today? Um, I think, that's a good question. So try and look at things in bigger chunks. I think it's really easy to look at, you know, when you ask me like, what are some things that have kept you up at night? Um, it's very easy to get into the sort of the roller coaster of one day is the best day in the world. The next day is the worst day in the world. Um, and easy to sort of let you, when you're sort of driving your business by the hour or minute, um, let that sort of like really get you on that emotional roller coaster and sort of to take the time um, more often than not to sort of step back and more so look at like, okay, well, where am I this month compared to last month or last year? And how have we gone? And where do I want to be this same time next year or in two years? Um, and make sure you keep that sort of big picture perspective and not get bogged down necessarily in day in, day out. Yeah, I think that's great advice. Take a take a step back. Yeah. Uh, okay, I'm, I'll let you go in a minute, but I have some fun. <laughs> I have some quick fun ones for you. Okay. Um, if you could choose anyone or any dog to represent Ollie, you get a 30 or 60 second Super Bowl ad. Who would you have and why? Um, that's a great question. So I'm a huge fan of Doug the Pug. I would love Doug the Pug to be eating our food. All right, Doug the uh, Pug, if you're listening. <laughs> He's just uh, very genuine, um, has a great following, gets to, gets to go to all the cool events too. Um, so would, would love to be associated with him. And the best thing about dogs representing your brand as opposed to people is there's less risk of them, you know, getting a DUI. <laughs> so they're great. They're great brand ambassadors. <laughs> There's almost zero risk. I don't know if there are any cases uh, historically. I'm curious now, but well, people that... always ask us that because like a lot of CPG companies tend to like have people and what is the risk of like choosing the right person? And, and it's one nice thing that we don't have to worry about with dog, dog ambassadors. Yeah, definitely. That's a great, <laughs> yeah. You, yeah. You don't, you don't necessarily have to worry about them not showing up. You don't have exactly. to worry about them being mean to the production staff. Totally. Um, what What's something on your bucket list? Something on my bucket list. Um, in life or for Ollie? Life. <laughs> in life, uh, I want to go to Japan. That's definitely on my bucket list right now. Yeah, do that soon. I had yeah. <laughs> I had my honeymoon in Japan and it was incredible. Oh, boy. Um, it, if you weren't running bark, bar, uh, I mean, sorry, if you weren't running Ollie, what would you be doing? Um, I try not to play that what if game too much. I think that's a little bit, more, that goes back to my try and live in the big picture, not the day in day out. Um, 
right now I'm extremely happy running Ollie. Um, I guess on a day-to-day basis, if I wasn't, if when I'm not in the office, I'll reframe. When I'm not in the office, I'm spending time with my dog Poncho and my daughter and my husband and try and um, unwind as much as possible and sort of take some time to unplug, which I also think is really important for everyone and be outside. So that's what I don't do when I'm when I'm not in the weeds of Ollie. But I think that. I would always want to do something that I felt extremely passionate about, felt like was making a difference in someone's or someone, whether it be human or animal's life. Um, So definitely feel like I could only do sort of a passion driven project. Do you think it would still be, this is, has to be a world where, where Ollie is just surgically removed from the world and everything. Would it still be in health and wellness? I think so. Yeah. Great. And do you, lastly, and then I'll let you off the hook, are, do you have anything to plug? Do you have any new product releases? Or, I mean, it, uh, definitely plug the website. Where can people find you? Whatever you want to talk about, this is it. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you want to st- try Ollie, you can go to myolly.com. You fill out your dog's information. And listeners can get 50% off their first box um, by trying Ollie. And we are continuously evolving and launching new recipes and products and snack lines. So definitely be on the lookout. Okay. And yeah, so listeners out there, if you have a dog, if your dog is having any health issues or if they aren't, go go get some Ollie, see how they like it. Uh, Gabby, thank you so much for coming on. This was a real treat. Uh, thank you. Pun intended. And we <laughs> will uh, talk to you soon. Great. Thanks so much. All right. Bye. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. Um, to If you haven't already, please rate and subscribe to the podcast on whatever podcast app you choose. Uh, and check out all the episodes on makingthebrand.co uh, to hear some interviews that we have done in the past. And I will continue to update them in the future. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks again, season two. We are off to the races. Love you all.